0: The piece of music you're listening to is called Mad Hatter Tea Party I wrote it for the British theatre company Bard and Troubadour And their presentation of Alice in Wonderland It's meant to convey a sense of madness or recklessness And we'll get into it in this episode you're listening to how i make music my weekly show for music and audio producers to go behind the scenes of soundtrack music composition and write more compelling music each week i break down a soundtrack that i've written and i share the insights and decisions behind how it was made my name is john bartman i'm a music composer and producer from south africa and this is how i make music I like to play reference tracks to help you guys understand the inspiration behind whatever I've written, but there's a general rule, which is that you don't play anything by Disney on your podcast because it gets flagged and taken down off YouTube. So unfortunately, I don't want to put in the soundtrack that inspired me for this, which is the original Alice in Wonderland Mad Hatter Tea Party uh, scene from the animated film. I will link to it in the show notes. What I can do, however, is I can play a similar sounding composition that I came up with for a library music project. Here is a piece called March of the Baby Trolls, which was composed by myself and my friend here in Cape Town, Nick Payton. have my mother to thank for that main melody because I have memories as a child of us skipping along and her singing so I literally took that down from my memory um, and turned it into the song I played that for you because it has a very similar feel to today's chosen soundtrack Mad Hatter Tea Party I wanted this piece to sound amateur like a raggle-taggle orchestra of amateurs who are basically doing their best. They're sounding as good as they can. To convey amateurness, I used pots and pans from the kitchen and spent the morning banging on them with wooden spoons. And this is how it sounds. Sounds like a composer taking revenge on their children. One or two moments are really out of time. I deliberately didn't correct that because when you're an amateur, you can't play in time. Let me play you again the part that sticks out a little bit. Sometimes it's about avoiding anything sticking out and really making it smooth and really background. And sometimes it's about making a feature out of it and deliberately... Uh, spiking the listener's attention. Once AI has learned to perfectly imitate the most masterful music possible, we're still going to be listening to music made by humans because ultimately what we're attracted to is these mistakes, these indescribable, uncategorizable variations or deviations from perfection. Right, so the amateur pots and pan players had done their job I moved on to finding a kick drum, which also sounded like maybe
1: just a box being banged or something. This is what I came up with. To be honest, I'm not sure how I came up with that sound
0: at all. It might be a sample, it might be something that I've recorded. It sounds like it's been pitched down, but it does the job of keeping the rhythm steady and not sounding either too electronic or too perfect. Let's move on to the horns in this arrangement. What is this instrument? Everybody knows the trombone and its party trick. Here is the full horn part on its own. I'll play it as a cascade so that you hear one instrument coming in at a time. Starting with the live trombone played by my friend Gareth Harvey, and then followed by sampled trombone ensemble sound from the Contact 4 library, followed by a sampled tuba sound. (laughs) to soundtrack music knows the comical sound of the tuba. Anytime you need a silly, um, a sort of a doofus character or a kid's presentation to be funny, you throw a tuba in there and you do some umpa oompa band type um, bass lines. It really works every time, even when it sounds as sampled and synthesized as this. <laughs> The mood of the piece had to be upbeat and fun for a kid's afternoon theatre performance. So I thought a marching band snare would work quite well. These are two different sounding snares. I didn't have too much time to um, perfect it, and it doesn't make too much of a difference as long as that roll is in the right place and uh, it, it serves as a feature and the rest of the drumming can just kind of be in the background. What I learned from this is that it's not always worth taking time on every single part. I mean, you want it to be as good as it can, but at the end of the day, you might be on a deadline, or you might just accept that it's not going to be played, um, you know, on a 5.1 surround system in a cinema. In other words, don't let your limitations, don't let your lack of time get in the way of you finishing your work. I say that Almost every time in this podcast, I'm beginning to sound like a broken record. Let's move on to the kids' toy sounds. Here are two sounds that I use throughout the piece. There's a cool moment where that squeaky toy stands out on its own, it gets its own little one second of fame. So, for that one second, you'll hear a break in the entire orchestra while the squeaky toy gets to have its say. That little moment serves two functions. The one is to break up the song. It creates some variation so it doesn't just sound like a loop. And the other is to draw attention to the most humble instrument in this entire group. And I love that idea, especially with kids. Younger kids often feel overlooked by older kids. So I wanted to give a little bit of importance to this really humble instrument, just even if it's for one second in the track. Having reasons behind the decisions that you make makes for more compelling music. At least that's how I feel. And apparently it's also how Oliver Wallace felt. Oliver Wallace wrote the original music for Disney's Alice in Wonderland. He used flutes quite extensively in the piece and that's because there are animated teapot characters. Now, we all know a teapot, when it whistles it sounds like a flute. So I copied him, it's a great idea. Here are the flutes from my composition, just on their own. What a great idea, using flutes as teapots. And uh, that really harkens back to the original uh, composition, which is what I was intending to do. And thinking like this will really help you to write stuff that really resonates with people. Think about the actual sounds that characters make and uh, try to replicate those using instruments. And this goes as far back as as classical music. Beethoven was inspired by Birdsong when he wrote the Pastoral Sixth Symphony, which is all set in the outdoors. So there's a strong link between nature and um, the instruments that reproduce the sounds we find in nature. I don't want to get too much more into my understanding of that right now, but the key point here is that intentionality. Intentionality is everything when you write your music. Here is the combination of a double bass, piano, and a ukulele. A lot of space between those three parts. They all work together. And they're all uh, filler, filler tracks, meaning that they're just there to beef up and support the other parts that have already been written. One final thing before we finish is a little dissonant moment. Um, I'll play it for you. It's really horrible sounding musically. Here, just give it a listen one more time. If we break this down... Uh, on the piano on its own. It sounds like this. There are two moments where there's dissonance. The first is here. You've got a C and a C-sharp together. And the second is here. There you've got a C and a B-natural together. Why am I writing bad music? Well, it's temporary. <laughs> so these moments of dissonance create tension, which wants desperately to be resolved and is fortunately very quickly resolved and the piece carries on. It's essential to throw tension into the composition so that you avoid it sounding like uh, just bland muzak. This is music with character. And I also mentioned earlier about wanting it to sound amateur. So these could be moments in the song when the uh, flute player is playing the wrong note by mistake. It contributes to the intended feel. It comes across, hopefully, it comes across that it is completely deliberate. And uh, this is the key to writing uh, more compelling music, is to do it with confidence. Right, so that's about it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening to Mad Hatter Tea Party, the soundtrack breakdown. It was a lot of fun to write and it's always a lot of fun sharing my understanding of how to write music with you. So we'll listen to that full track in just a moment. But before we do that, thank you for listening to How I Make Music, my weekly show in which I break down one of my original soundtracks and share the insights behind how it was made so you can make better more compelling music yourself or at least have an idea of what other people like us are up to there's a new episode every wednesday if you'd like it please do subscribe and share it with your music producer friends trying to get the word out hopefully it's useful to you if you need fresh music for your own podcast or video productions that's what i do you can download this track mad hatter tea party from my website johnbartman.com j-o-h-n-b-a-r-t-m-a-n-n.com A week or two ago, it was used in a promotional video for a pottery studio in Tennessee. So I get these really random out-the-blue requests, and uh, I'm super generous. Please just get in touch if you'd like to use it for your own video. It's suitable for kids' products and services, birthday parties, that kind of thing. So head over to my music page, search the music page by keyword, genre, title, mood, or instrument for original royalty-free soundtracks and podcast themes. Thanks for listening. Now here's Mad Hatter Tea Party, a really silly a little bit wacky amateur orchestral track, a fun track aimed for kids and the Alice in Wonderland enthusiasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week.